check. There we go. Everybody hear me okay? Does this sound better? Yeah, great. Very good. Very good. I always believe that it's going to be a good Sunday when technology just goes haywire. You know what I'm saying? So um, this is already starting off to a great start. Um, so as we start this brand new series, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll be today. And then we'll have some supporting verses in uh, Matthew chapter uh, supporting verses in John chapter 15 and also in Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to land the plane. But Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to study the Beatitudes. And in order to start us off a little bit, uh, I was partly raised by my grandparents. And uh, if you know anything about that particular generation, they were raised a little differently than my generation, right? That is the Great Depression generation. That's when they were raised up. And so for them, they live life and they view life a little differently. Uh, they could make any meal out of almost anything. Uh, my grandfather would fry bologna, right, on a pan, and he's like, okay, here's dinner. We're ready to go, right? I remember, I still remember to this day, I went to the refrigerator with my grandmother. I called her mama, and um, there was some jelly in the refrigerator, and I wanted to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, of course, right? So I opened up the refrigerator. I pulled out the jelly, and on top, there's green mold, right? And so I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I'm like, the, I'm like mama, the jelly has gone bad. It, it's gone. She goes, oh, let me see that. Scrapes the mold off the top. And she's like, it's still good. Here you go, right? Like, just use this. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> you know, it, they, but they were raised differently. They were like, no, this thing's got to last. And uh, they used to take, I don't know if you've heard of this before. Maybe it's just a southern thing, but uh, buttermilk and cornbread. Buttermilk and cornbread. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know about buttermilk, but they used to eat that for days, right? They could survive, I felt like, on almost anything. Another thing, too, about uh, that particular generation, maybe I'm superimposing my grandparents, but for them in particular, you were to ask them to go to the doctor, it was like, you're, you're speaking blasphemy to them, like, doctor, what? You know, my leg cut off? Like, I'm not going to the doctor. Like, they, they just believe that, and uh, so trying to get them to go and get a checkup was like, come on, what, what are you doing? Like, you can't breathe right now. We need to go to the doctor. Like, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm all right, right? But it was just that generation. They just, they, they knew and they, they felt like they needed to survive. And when I think about their generation, I think about the way that they viewed or he viewed, especially my grandfather, he viewed going to the doctor. Uh, I, I, when I read the Beatitudes, it's an opportunity for you and I to have a heart checkup. It's to really allow God to look at us. Because you know when you go to the doctor, they ask all of these questions, right? They, they keep, because they want to get to the root cause. They want to know what's going on. And they just don't want to, they, they want to know the symptom, but they're trying to heal what's going on at the root, right? And so when we read the Beatitudes, it's like we're sitting down with God. And he's kind of working through this checklist of going, hey, let's do a checkup. Let me, I don't just want to know how you're doing on the surface level. But I want to go to the root level, right? And we saw in Matthew chapter 4 that he called his disciples. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he goes right into the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount begins to, God begins to teach them the ways of the kingdom. And he starts off with these eight statements. And these eight statements are so profound. And they're so big. Sometimes it's really easy to glance over them. And in the Old Testament, we know the Ten Commandments, right? Most of them, as we read them, uh, begin to tell us what not to do, right? Well, the Beatitudes, as Jesus begins to teach, he starts giving things to do, right? And not only to do, but he starts to go, here are some things that are going to shape your entire life. 
I don't, maybe you've had, a, uh, you've looked at your business before and your business may have a set of core values. Our church has a set of core values. And core values are important, right? Because I love how uh, Craig Rochelle says it. He says, what we value determines what we do, right? If I have a set of values, it's going to determine how I live my life. It's going to determine how I make decisions, the way I interact with other people. If I have a particular value that I believe in, then it's going to flesh out. And we see that in business world. We see that in family dynamics and in each individual's life as well. And what we value is important. And I, and I would even say, kind of take it a step further, for you and I to actually define and articulate what we value is a big deal because it gives us clarity. But as a Christian, there are a set of Christian values, right? A set of Christian morals that Jesus already gives us. And the Beatitudes are just that. He's saying here are eight core values for you to live your life as a follower of Christ. And they have huge implications because if we truly value what Jesus values, truly value what God values, then it's going to determine what we do, right? It's going to determine how we live our life. And the Beatitudes kick off and every eight, each eight statement, they come out first with a blessed are. And he uses the word blessed are, right? And then he gives a condition for you and I to speak inside of our heart. But then he gives a promise attached on the backside of every beatitude. He says, hey, blessed are, and he gives a descriptor, and then he says, for this is what you'll get. For this is what you are will be connected to. And we see that there's a promise attached to each and every one. And this was, when Jesus first spoke this on the Sermon on the Mount, it would have stood out. It would have kind of caused ripples to go out into the community because uh, the Old Testament, whenever they used the word blessed, a lot of times it would mean monetary possessions. It would say God's going to bless you. So that means you're going to get more crops or God's going to bless you and you're going to get this type of money or your family's going to get increase or your family's going to physically grow. Right. If you look at Abraham. He would say, I'm going to bless you with this, this and this. And you would think monetary but when Jesus uses the word blessed, he's using it in the term, if you look in the original language, it actually means happy. He's going to bring this fulfillment, this happiness, this joy. And he's saying if you truly want to experience a fulfilled life, right? They, and a joyful, a happy, blessed are the way that you were created. Then he says, I'm going to give you these eight characteristics. I want to give you these eight core values for you to live your life. And he goes right into the first one. And I find this interesting. You guys ready for this? I'm, I, I can't get too excited because I'm, I'm attached now. See, but um, and he gives us these in Matthew chapter five and he starts off the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible tells us that he turns to his disciples. Right. And then he starts teaching them. So that gives us an indicator. There were other people there who actually maybe weren't followers of him yet. And they were listening in. And obviously other people can read the Bible as well. But Jesus was directing this to his disciples. He was saying, once you become a follower of me, now I want to teach you how to live the life in the kingdom. And sometimes uh, we can hold the world to a Christian expectation, right? And then we can get discouraged when they don't behave the way that God has called them to live, right? We can go, oh, man, look at that. And I, and I would uh, encourage you not to be discouraged because that's why God has called us here, to get the ways of the kingdom into the world. And in fact, we should be surprised when the world takes on the kingdom views, right? Like, 
well, where did y'all get that, right? Like, can I tell you this came from God, right? And so we can take some of that pressure off of us of believing, right? Because sometimes we expect things from somebody who is lost or not have a relationship with Christ. We can expect things from them that they're not fully bought into or and even bigger. They haven't been changed by the Holy Spirit. They, have, they are not, not a new creation in Christ, right? But God is going, hey, when, when that's why it's so important to start with the message of Christ. Because as we are changed in Christ, then it begins to shape us into the image of who he is. And so we start off here in the first one, Matthew chapter 5. Everybody doing okay? Yeah? We're going to start here in verse 3, and then we're going to kind of pick apart this a little bit, and then land the plane. We're going to take communion today together, and it's going to be an incredible day of worship. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. If we think about this term, blessed are, he's saying you'll receive God's blessing if you are first poor in spirit. And we see this begin to model poor in spirit. And I believe everybody in this room is pretty intelligent, right? When you're poor, you don't have a lot, right? But if I am rich, right, if I actually believe that I have everything that I need, then I don't need God, right? But he's saying, blessed are actually the ones whose spirit have the revelation that they have a deep desire and a deep need for God. And blessed are the ones who realize that they humbly come before God going, I don't have it all. In fact, God, I I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing outside of you, God. And I believe Jesus starts the Beatitudes with this because it has massive implications for your life and my life. Uh, My family and I recently, over the holidays, took a trip to the mountains, and we live in one of the most beautiful places on earth, right? The low country. We get to drive out. We get to see the winding rivers, but there's also something pretty amazing about the mountains, right? Just see the huge, massive mountains. I remember the first high we came up and we saw the Blue Ridge Mountains for like the first time. My kids in the back seat, they'd start going crazy, right? Like, <gasps> look at the mountains. The things that are amazing. Dad. Look how big they are. And for us to be reminded of how big those mountains are, when I think about blessed are the poor in spirit, and I think about salvation, you and I, I want you to pretend that you and I are on one mountain ridge and there's this entire valley and chasm that, that we can't get across to this next mountain, right? And on that side of the mountain is God. On that side of the mountain is Jesus. And you and I are separated from God. And the Bible teaches us that sin has separated us from God. And there is no way for you and I to get across this chasm. It is too far. We can't build enough bridges. We can't do enough good works. We can't reach God, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sin. He paid for my sin and he created this bridge so that now I can get from where I am to where God is. And God's presence comes to us. And when I place my faith in Jesus, he closes the gap of that chasm. And there's there's a difference in belief, right? Because if I believe if I'm good enough, then I can get to the bridge across from God, right? 
If I get enough of my life, if I can reorient and reorganize or make the best decisions, then I can get to God, right? If I can uh, make the most out of my life, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, there's some, I, I just, I need to get right before I come before God. And I would say we can't get right until we place our faith in God because the Holy Spirit is the one who changes us, right? God is the one who does the work in us, and we can't get to God outside of Christ. And Christ is the one who makes that bridge. Christ is the one who gets us across this chasm. And for you and I to realize, blessed are the poor in spirit, because this becomes a big deal. And you and I can't truly experience happiness. We can't truly experience the fulfillment of Christ outside of who Jesus is, outside of who Christ is. And God reminds us of this here in John chapter 15. I love this particular uh, uh, piece of scripture as Jesus is teaching again later on in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? When we look at these words, like you're like, Jesus, don't, don't beat around the bush here. But he's saying, apart from me, we can, spiritually speaking, do nothing. And if you're taking notes here, the first one I would love you to write down is fulfillment comes in Christ. Fulfillment comes from Christ and from Christ alone. And we see that because we can start to begin to work. And I've done it before in my life. And I'm not going to believe that that's everybody's situation. But a lot of times we can try to fulfill our life with relationships, right? We can try to fulfill our life with a career, right? We can try to fulfill our life with enough money. If I get to this mark, then I will be fulfilled. I will truly be happy if I can get this much into my retirement, this much into my savings, this much, right? I can try to find fulfillment in uh, what I do, whatever, I, whatever my family dynamic looks like. If I can find the right girl or find the right guy, once I start a family, then I will be happy. Then I will be fulfilled, right? But you know what happens? To you and I, every time we reach that mark, when our head hits the pillow at night, we're going, there's still something there. There's still something missing. Or we get to the mark, and when we get to the mark, guess what? We're looking for another mark. Why? Because we keep trying to get fulfilled. I, I get, I reach this number, and when I reach this number, then I'm looking for the next number, right? I get, I reach this position at work, and I reach it, and this is great, but then the hunger and the drive becomes even hungrier, right? I need more. I'm ready for the next thing, and God is going, you can only find that fulfillment in me, that spiritually speaking, there is a hole inside of our lives, inside of our hearts, that we're trying to fulfill, and it only comes in Christ. And Christ says that you can only get that when you remain in me. It's only when you and I realize that we are spiritually bankrupt, right? That we need Jesus. We have this deep desire to be connected from him. And the deep desire is so that Christ can do the work in me. And I, I want to think about this as we think about the core, uh, these core values, right? The Beatitudes that Christ has given us. I want you to think about it through these three filters, okay? Because sometimes I think we leave 
some of these filters out. And the first one is just what we were talking about, my relationship with God. I can't have a relationship with Christ, right, outside of Jesus. And that changes how God interacts with us. I receive forgiveness from God. I receive his peace. I receive his grace, right? And we look at that. Now I am changed in Christ. And then God may look at you and go, hey, okay, I want to use you now. I want to use you for my glory, right? I want to use you to help uh, other people get connected to me. I want to use your gifts. I want to use your talents. I want to use your resources. And then we look in the mirror, right? And we may look at other people's lives and go, yeah, God's using them. God's using Alan. God's using them. God's using them. And then we look in the mirror and go, nope, nope. Sorry, not, nope, not, not me, God. You can't use me like that. I, I don't know, right? But part of being spiritually bankrupt is me coming and looking and going, you know what, God? I can't do this on my own. But if you will do a work in me, you begin to change my heart. You begin to change my dire, desires. I can't do this on my own. And then now when I look at myself in the mirror, I regain my confidence, right? Not an arrogance, but a confidence in Christ because I'm a new creation. I I am a royal priesthood. I am a co-heir in Christ. And when I look in the mirror, I can see Christ at work in me. And it changes the way that I view myself. And now I can go into the world and say, okay, God, as I go to work today, as I lead my family, I believe, God, that you can use me. Because if we don't believe that, right, if that is not a core value for us, then we're going to try, God, I'm going to try and do all of this on my own power. And God's going, look, you can't remain in me and I in you. For if the branch is separated and you're trying to do it on your own, you can't produce the spiritual fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Your family can't experience the fruit of the Spirit outside of Christ, right? We can't do enough of those things. God is saying we need to be connected with me. We need to be connected to him. And then, of course, we look at this through the lens of other people. Because just as Greg was talking about, he did a great job last week, right? Just a phenomenal message for us last week. And it's incredible to have him here for our five-year celebration. But as we think about our others, this changes how we view other people. Because now I know that the only reason I'm even able to go across the bridge is not because of what I have done or how good I am or what I look like. But it's because of what Jesus has done, that he has made a way. And who am I to try to put a barricade between people and God of going, I can step across the aisle. I can step across people in my community. I can step across all other barriers because it is Christ who has done the work in me. Right. And it begins to change all of that. I want us to see this picture here in Luke chapter 18. And this is a beautiful picture because we have two people as Jesus begins to teach on prayer. And Jesus loves to kind of ruffle feathers and rock the boat a little bit, right? Sometimes we get a picture of Jesus, how he's just, we're going to skip through the rose petals and all of these things. But Jesus wants to come and he, and at times he disrupts our lives, right? He disrupts our beliefs and he sits here and he begins to teach his disciples and to teach the people around him. And he uses two examples. He says, 
Now, there is a Pharisee who, during the Bible times, is a religious leader. So think about a pastor or maybe somebody you see on TV who's constantly preaching the word. And you're like, wow, look at all the work that's happening in them, right? Like doing all of these things. And maybe they talk about, I go on uh, prayer retreats and I pray for 48 hours a day or whatever it may be. And look at all of this 48 hours a day. That is not okay. Anyway, Jacob's laughing at me. But. We, we see all of these things, right? They're boasting in what they have done, but they're a religious leader. So we looked at them and go, they must have it all together. And then Jesus goes, and then there's another person, a tax collector. And at that time, everybody in the room would have went, tax collector? Because for the Jewish people, the tax collectors would rob them of their money and give it to the people who are actually oppressing them, right? And so they hated tax collectors. For me, the best thing I can think of is maybe a dirty politician, right? You and I go, oh, I can't believe they would take our money and and use it for themselves, my tax money, right? I'm just trying to make it real for you and I. Where Jesus goes, look, there's a pastor, a religious leader, and there's a dirty politician, who has come before me. And then he tells us. So I just want us to get this picture. Because now think about that. As we hear this story here in Luke chapter 18 verse 9. You guys ready? It says. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence. In their own righteousness. And scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The religious leader. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like those other people, the cheaters, the sinners, the adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God is saying at the heart level, I'm not looking at the outside or the works that we have. He says, I'm looking at the heart. And in this scenario, that tax collector came and he couldn't even lift his eyes. He's on his knees and he's beating his chest and he is poor in spirit going, God, I can't do it. I can't do this without you. I need you in my life. None of my works are good to you, God. I just need you. I need you Jesus I need you to save me I need you to change me and the Pharisee begins to pray and go God I want I'm coming before you and look at everything that I've done I have fasted multiple days right he starts to bring up his self-righteous acts I give all of this money God I do all of this and thank you God right like can you imagine thank you God for not making me like him this tax collector like thank you for not making me like this person and I think that we have to be careful that we're, we don't turn into the Pharisee who's looking at other people going, I, I'm better than them, right? But God is going, I want the condition of your heart to be poor in spirit, to come to Christ going, I can't do this. But if we're not careful, we can also be in the position of looking at the other person and going, you know what? I'm glad I'm not like the Pharisee. 
right? I'm glad I'm not like that religious person. I'm glad I'm not like them because now, even though we've switched roles, our heart condition is still the same. And that's the thing about Jesus is he wants our heart, right? He wants what's inside of us because if the value changes, then what we do will change. And if we try to change our heart out of what we do, we're not going to experience true change. God is saying, I want, if I can have your heart, if you believe truly and wholeheartedly that you're poor in spirit, that you'll humble yourself before God, he's saying, yes, that is the person that I can work with, right? And I just picture myself, because I can remember there were times, especially starting in ministry, when I would come before God, I was excited. I was young, I was ready to go. I was like, God, this, like, God, look, you, you've given me this gift. I can do this, I can do this, I can do that, right? And I just picture kind of God, like the Father, kind of stepping back, like, oh, yeah, that's cute. Good job, little buddy, right? But then there were moments in ministry where I stepped back and was like, Phew. Oh, God, I can't do this. God, this is too big. How, how can you use me to share a story that is going to change someone's eternity forever? I was like, God, I can't, I can't do this. I just pictured God stepping back going, ah, I can use that. I can use that because you're right, Daniel. You can't do this. But through my power, through my will, I can work through you. And I believe that if you and I, we get this picture of God and we come before God and it's okay for you and I to come to God and go, you know what? I can't do this, God. I can't do this. Today, I can't do this. I need your strength. I need your hope. I need your mercy for today. And just like the Old Testament, God gave them manna for each day, right? They were dependent on God for each day day and we come before God on Monday in the morning my prayer is that as a church we wake up and you're going God oh I can't do Monday I can't do today God I need I desperately need you in my life I need you to work in my life God I, I, I don't want to do today without you I need you to lead my family I need you at work I need you in my life and that is the picture of poor in spirit because there are many times that I wake up and I'm like I got my agenda today. I got a good to-do list. And I'm ready to tackle every single one of these. But God is going the core value that I want my people to grasp first. Sometimes this is going to cause us to run at a different pace than the world, right? Sometimes this is going to cause us to make decisions that are different than our coworkers, different than the world around us, right? Because our values are different right it drives a different decision it drives a different way of life and we are called to be a holy nation right holy meaning set apart we are called not to be of the world but to still be in the world right a city sitting up on a hill and people are looking at us going wow you have a different set of values you view life differently you make different decisions why and we get to tell them about the kingdom of heaven because that's what we're doing. We go into our workplace. We have the opportunity to bring the kingdom of heaven with us. And that's what Jesus is trying to get you and I. Because the promise is, blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? They will inherit the earth. How beautiful is that? A picture of what God can do. Can somebody bring me some water, Dave? My voice is going out too. I've told you. Something's going to happen today. It's today, right? 
but this is why I believe that. He's bringing me some water. No mic. No, oh, that, that doesn't look like water. I don't know. I'm, sure I'm not sure I should be drinking that. Thanks, Dave. You're the man. And I was reflecting over this message, and I said, if I had one message to preach the rest of my life all around the world, it would be this message. Because we can't inherit the kingdom of earth outside of Jesus. And if I could teach anything to my kids, if I could teach anything to us as a church, as your pastor in Christ, right? If I could get us to cling to anything, it would be to be poor in spirit because we need Jesus every Sunday. We need Jesus every Monday. I need Jesus as a dad. I need Jesus as a husband. I need Jesus, right? Every single day, I am spiritually bankrupt. My life cannot change without the Holy Spirit. My mind cannot change. I can't be renewed. I need Jesus to work in me and through me. And if that is the case, right? Like that is position that God wants for you and for me. Is to say, you know what, God? I need you. And the last thing, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to continue to take communion together, and the worship team is going to come up and sing. But the last point I love for us to get today is to live like we desperately need Jesus every day. To live like we desperately. When I first wrote this, I didn't have the word desperately. And I'm like, no, we need to depict this. I need, I desperately, more than I need to wake up and have breakfast, more than I need the air in my lungs. Jesus, I, I am poor in spirit. I can't do this. I need you to fill me up first, God, before I head out into today so that I can have my relationship with you, that you can change the way I view myself. And now I don't lead out of my insecurities. I lead out of who you are, Christ. And now I can love others. God, I need a new set of eyes because my sinful self will look at people differently without you, Jesus, right? I need you to radically change who I am. And every day we have that opportunity to go, you know, I desk Jesus. I can't do today. Can you give me strength? Can you give me hope? Can you give me endurance to run the race, God? Can you give me strength to overcome this temptation today, God? Because I can feel it coming on. I can feel this change begin to happen inside of my life. Jesus, I need you. And you know what happens to a church who wakes up daily like this? We get a picture in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Where the church comes together and they're saying, God, Jesus, you just left physically. And we're supposed to lead this thing? And they're saying, we're not going to go until the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus. We're not going to move from this upper room until you tell us to do it, God. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it's like a fire inside of their bones. And Peter begins to preach. And if Peter preached without the Holy Spirit, guess what? It would probably would have been a good speech, right? But when Peter preached with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people came to know Christ in one moment, in one day, right? In Acts chapter 4, it says the meeting place physically shook, right? Because they declared, they wanted God's presence. They were just arrested, right? And the angels just freed them and they came back and they said, God, they were just arrested. It's getting crazy in here. God, we need your boldness, right? I'm praying for protection right at that point. They're like, no, 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 God. 
We need your boldness. We need you in our lives today. I'm a firm believer that God wants to do a mighty work in us and through us, but it starts with what Jesus preached. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that promise is still true today. It is still true for you and it's still true for me. That we inherit the kingdom of heaven through salvation, of realizing our need for Christ, but also every day living with that in mind. And so I just want to pray for us, ask God to speak to our hearts and just to pray that same prayer. If you've never given your life to Christ before, I would love to pray with you right after service. Maybe you want to fill a connect card out and stop by the connect center and we'd love to walk you through what that looks like and to know to have the hope of Christ with us. But let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. God, we need you. We can't do this without you, God. As we head into launching small groups, God, we know that the reason small groups work is because you're there and you're active and you're working, God. God, I I pray for each and every one of us as individuals. Maybe we were clinging to something in order for it to give us fulfillment, God. I pray today that we can release that at your feet and truly experience you, God. God, I pray that you would decrease so that we may increase. I pray that every day, we live that we desperately need you, Jesus. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move inside of our hearts right now in the name of Jesus, God. I pray that you would uh, bind the enemy in our lives and give us boldness and courage to walk the path that you have called us to. Whatever we need to do to reshape and mold our lives to pursue you with everything that we have. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.